sent with us a comforter. We thank you for your word. We thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you that you are our father. We thank you that we enjoy and we eat of the good of this land. We thank you for crowning our heads with loving kindness. We thank you that you are a good father and you are our father. Most importantly, we thank you that you consider us your children. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. We thank God for this opportunity to continue our study. And by the grace of God, we are beginning a new series which I'm really excited about. An interesting topic. And we thank God for qualifying us for life. And indeed, we must work the works of Himu at centers while it is day because the night season of our life is approaching where we will not be able to work. So tonight we are starting a new series that we will title The Shrewd Manager. The Shrewd Manager. And it's a parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 16. So I'll be reading from the verse 1 to the verse 15. And I read, And he said unto his disciples, there's a certain rich man, or there was a certain rich man, which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is this that I hear of thee? Give an account of your stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer my steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg, I am ashamed. Verse 4, I am resolved what to do that. When I am put out of stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. The verse 5, So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Verse seven. Then he said unto another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measure of wheat. And he said, Take thy bill and write four score. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world, are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye feel, they may receive you into everlasting inhabitation. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust in the much. 
If therefore you have not been unfaithful in unrighteous mammon, who would commit unto your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you which is your own? Verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he would hold on to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Verse 14, And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they dreaded him. Verse 15, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourself before men, but God knoweth your heart. For that which is highly esteemed of men is abominable in the sight of God. We bless God for the reading of his word. The fact that King James Version is it's a very interesting version when you read it. So, but I believe it's a scripture which I know many are not familiar with. It's not one of Jesus' familiar parables. And I think in my little research, it's one of the most controversial parables Jesus ever gave. And while studying this parable, one thing that um, I got clarity on is that when we are interpreting parables or when we are studying parables, many a times we are really strict with the interpretation of parables. And in so doing, it makes it very difficult for us to appreciate what the parable is supposed to communicate. Because in almost all the parables Jesus gave or Jesus gives, if we are trying to look at the exact thing in relation to our lives, we may not find it. And that's how many of us sometimes we struggle with the parable. The parable is simply a story that Jesus is saying to cut across a certain important truth that hitherto would be difficult to communicate in plain language. So if we are always so strict and rigid in who is who in a parable, we may not get anything. For example, in this parable, for instance, who is God in this parable? We can assume that the master or the Lord is God and we are the unjust steward. But then if we are saying that's the truth, are we saying that God is going to dismiss us based on accusations? Because in the verse 1, it said that and there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Is God going to dismiss us or rob us of certain opportunities based on accusations? Obviously not. So then who is the man or who is the Lord representing in the parable? And same also with all the other parables. So when we are interpreting the parables, we have to know that it's a story that Jesus is saying to teach us something. So it's not in all instances of the parable that we would fit or God would fit into the scenario. I hope we, we get what I'm saying. But as we are going and we look at it. So as I said, this is the parable of the shield manager. In fact, I never really got, I've never really had a plethora of teachings on this parable. And it's, as I said, it's a very controversial parable. It's somewhat unorthodox. Because at the surface, reading the parable, it seems as though Jesus is telling us to be dishonest. It seems as though Jesus is applauding the, the dishonesty of the manager or of the steward. It seems as though Jesus is teaching us to be smart and not smart in a good way, but smart in an evil way when dealing with business. 
So in this series, I believe it to be either a two-part or a three-part series. We want to just study something from this parable and see what God will teach us. Obviously, in most of the parables, the protagonist, and mostly in every parable, there are two key people in the parable. <clears throat> one is God or the Father or Jesus, and the other one is us. So in almost all the parables, you must identify these two people. And as I said, it's not always going to be a straight jacket. Because even though God may be presented by someone in the parable, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that is said about that person in the parable suits the nature of God. So in this parable, God is represented as the Lord or as the owner or as the rich man or as the boss or as the big man as we say in our Ghanaian setting and we are represented as the unjust steward but Jesus is teaching us something some people say that the parable is about a good lesson from a bad example a good lesson from a bad example that's how some people describe um, choose to describe the lesson that Jesus is teaching us but then we may realize that both people, that is both the master and the steward, had some unsavory characteristics. But the truth is not to scrutinize them, but is to look at the principle, at the truth that Jesus was trying to teach us in this parable. So before that, I just want to define two key terms. That one is shrewd. So the parable is the parable of the shrewd manager. So shrewd simply means having or showing sharp powers of judgment. Should means someone who has a clever discerning and an awareness of things. Somebody who has a clear understanding and a good judgment of situations or a situation. So if you check the synonyms for should, you see words like clever, you see words like smart, you see words like intelligent, you see words like um, astute. But it simply tells us the word should be somebody who is intelligent, somebody who has a good understanding of a situation and can come up with a solution. And now the second word is a manager. A manager is simply someone who manages that which is of another man and transacts business on behalf of that man. A manager is someone who manages that which is of another man and transacts business on behalf of that man. A manager is not the owner, but simply a caretaker or a steward. So from this, it simply tells us that there must be a certain level of trust between the owner or between the owner and his steward or between the big man and his PA or between the, <laughs> the boss and his publicist, however word you want to use, there must be a certain level of trust between these two. But now let's look at the parable and we'll be perusing it verse by verse to see what we can learn from it. Now let's use the NIV translation of the Bible just to help us flow. And the first thing is that the Bible says that there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. The first thing and we, okay, let's read them first. And it says that, so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The first thing I really want us to notice is that 
there is power in accusations. Never be somebody who accuses people. Because what may have been said may not be true. But it was something that was rumored about this manager. And this steward lost his job because of accusations. And one of my spiritual instructors always says that the reason why accusations is very powerful and the reason why accusations is very effective is because at the bottom of all the accusations is a certain level of truth. Because if <clears throat> they accuse you of being um, a liar or somebody accuses you of being a thief, all of us have that little tendency in us to tell lies, whether you call them white lies, whether you call them petty lies, however form you want to call the lies, lies be lies. If somebody's accused of being a thief, whether you are stealing a pen at work, whether you are stealing, whatever it may be, there's a certain underlying truth about it. So if you are a wife, you are always accusing your husband of doing something outside of marriage. The husband may not be doing anything, but underline all these things, the husband has the potential. And if you are going by Jesus' criteria, when Jesus said, if you look at a woman to last after her, you have already committed fornication. So you can imagine that this is what accusations has. It has a way of weakening you. Imagine if you're in a ministry and you're accused of squandering church money or you're accused of feeding on the orphans of people. When, as a priest of God, the orphans or the tithes the people bring is for your consumption. But then, because of accusation, and many people, especially young people, don't want to go into ministry because of these things. That, hey, me, I've got my degree, I'm an engineer, I'm a lawyer, I'm a this. And somebody will sitting somewhere and say, the car I'm driving is because of people's orphans, as though I'm a beggar. Many people don't want to marry pastors because they feel that as a pastor's wife, people be saying so many things about you and they just don't have the stomach to accommodate all these things. So many people shy away from doing God's work because of these petty, petty things, these petty, petty accusations that are channeled against people of God. And many of us, genuinely speaking, without all these things, we would have no issue marrying a pastor or being at the front line of ministry or whatever. But because of this little, little accusation, people will be saying this about you. They will be saying your children are this. If your child does something wrong, if a pastor's child does something wrong, see they will be blown out of proportion as though a pastor's child is not a child. And because of these little accusations, many people are unable to live out God's will for their lives. What will people say? How will people see me? I don't want to be seen as a crave. I don't want to be seen as an over-spiritual guy. I just want to be a cool guy, you know? Because of all these little things. And there's something in this story that this man lost his job because of accusations. But then, we can say that the accusations were true because in no instance do we give the hint that the manager tried to put up a defense. You know, if normally you are accused of doing something wrong, you want to explain yourself. Say, oh no, it's not true. I wrote this in my words because, you know, you try to explain yourself. So many people are assuming, or you can assume that because the manager did not make a defense or did not try to explain himself or whatever be the case, it's as though he was actually a culprit of his situation. But what is the lesson about this story? Why did Jesus give us an orthodox parable and I believe that by the time we are done studying this book, you will know why Jesus taught us this parable. So from this, we can deduce that the manager must have been abusing 
on mismanaging his master's resource. That is why when the manager called, when his boss called him and told him that this was the situation, the guy knew that Charlie, finally, finally, my cup is full. And let's look at what the manager did in the verse 3. It says, The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to beg, and I am ashamed to beg. Whatever. You see, this, by the time you are, you are done perusing this guy's life, you will know why this man is called a shrewd man, a clever man, a smart man. Because unlike many of us, this would not have been our reaction. The first thing I can assure you, what many people will do when they lose their job is to wallow in self-pity is to start accusing God or start accusing that that colleague at work that's going to report to the master. That's mostly our natural response. But look at this man's response. He did not put the blame on anybody. You can catch somebody who has clearly committed an offense and the way the person will be defending himself. Hey! Uh, you'll be amazed. But this was a man who knew that he had misappropriated his master's response. And he needed to bear the consequences of his reaction. But look at the way he responded to it. Many Christians, when we find ourselves in situations where due to our disobedience to God's word, we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, we do not respond like the way this manager responds. We respond in self-pity. We respond in condemnation. We respond in judging and bringing ourselves down. What a clever man. Many people, when they hear unfortunate news, look at the way you respond. But this man knew that this is not the time for me to wallow in self-pity. This is not the time for me to be blaming my employer who went to be, my, my colleague who went to report me. This is not the time to be pointing fingers that look at this manager or look at this boss. I've been serving you all your life faithfully. This small ones I have chopped from your account, you're angry at me. No, that's not the way he responded. How or what is response to life many christians like self-pity too much we like having a pity party we like blaming every other thing and we want to study how this man responded and the first response was that he was not angry he did not blame anybody and he was not in self-pity neither did he condemn himself but he realized that the only way his situation would change is if he himself does something. I love this man. He had to do something about his situation. And he realized it. Many Christians don't realize that situations in their life will not change unless they arise and push for that change. Many Christians are in unfortunate circumstances, yet they will not arise and pray. Yet they will not arise and work. They are just wallowing in self-pity and getting angry at God, how God has blessed their classmates, how God has blessed this, and God is not blessing them. Do something about your situation because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do not wallow in self-pity. And as they say, there is no need to cry over spilled milk. You have lost your job. You have lost it. This is not a time to be calling your boss an ungrateful man. He gave you a job in the first place. And he can decide to take back his job. Why are you accusing him? And that's many of us are response to life. We are always looking at who to blame for our circumstance. But this manager knew that I made the mistake. And I know that just as it was my decision, 
that has led me to lose my job. It is also my decision that will cause me to turn around your situation. So just like Moses, God told him that the deliverance I'm going to do through you, I'm going to use what is in your hands. He knew that he is the agent of change for his life. Honey, stop looking at your relative in America for help. Stop looking at him as the source of your deliverance. Stop looking at people because you must realize what God has given you. And this guy knew what God has given him. And that's the next thing you want to learn. He said that one, I am too weak to beg and I'm too ashamed to beg. The guy knew himself. Ah, he said, Charlie, the thing is that he was analyzing the situation. You are finished school. You don't have a job. Are you going to keep blaming the government till you're 100 years old? Are you going to keep blaming your parents for not paying for you to read a particular course in the university? Are you going to keep blaming um, what, the nepotism in the society? Are you going to keep blaming your uncle who is not giving you or who is not pushing for you to enter a particular government sector? Are you going to keep blaming people? And this man knew that one, he knew what he did not have. He knew that he did not have the ability to beg and he was too ashamed to beg. What a clever man. The next thing this man knew, and that is in the next verse, he said this, I know what I will do so that when I lose my job, people would welcome me into their homes. So the man knew that he must do something. He must do something. Honey, I came to tell you, you must do something. You must do something. You must do something. He knew he must change his situation, not the government, not the political system, not your uncle, not your relative, not anybody else, but you must do something. And look at the next thing about this guy. In the verse 5, the Bible says, so he called in each of his master's debtors. No wonder he was a manager. This guy was hardworking. You know, sometimes you can know what to do, but you just don't have the energy to arise and do it. But the guy was willing to put in the effort to change his situation. Many of us know what we have to do, but when you look at the quantum of work we have to do, we just get discouraged and we keep postponing. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll make, you know, I don't know if you have been in that situation, but sometimes you know you have to make a call. Me and I'm talking to you right now. There's somebody I said I'll call. It has been over a year now. <laughs> I'm still saying in my head I'll call the person. And whenever I remember to call the person, I'll be like, you let me go and do this and come back. By the time I come back, I'm like, you, it's late. I'll do it in the morning. I'll call the person in the morning. The morning will come, I'll be like, it's too early in the morning. Let me do it in the afternoon. I'll, afternoon, I'll be like, I'm busy. Let me do it in the evening. That's the way many of us are sir. We know what we have to do to change our situation, but we are just not willing to put in the effort. What a clever manager. What a clever guy. What a clever guy. And I love this man. And the next thing that this man knew is the verse before what we just read. That's the verse 4. So I know what I will do when I lose my job. People will welcome me into their houses. He understood the value of a network. He understood the value of people. He knew that he's not going to sit down for people to help him, but he was going to use people as a channel to serve 
his problems. You cannot underestimate the value of friendship, the value of a network, and the value of people. What a clever guy. And let's see what he did. So, you know, he called the first one and he said, I know you owe this, but pay this. I know you owe that, but pay this. And after all that happened, listen to the verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly then before the B part. And let me just go into a little bit of theology or into a little bit of culture. You know, to appreciate this parable the best, it's good that you put a little bit cultural perspective to understand why the manager, or sorry, why the owner will commend his manager. So you know that when the manager or when the owner called the manager, he said that you have lost your job. But before you go, bring in the books. So it was not as if the manager gave him his sack letter that day. It was like, you write all your reports, bring all your documents together and bring it to me. Then you would leave. So the man knew that he had a short time to change the situation. And he knew that if he must act, he must act now. So then the issue that why would his boss commend him? Because remember, people were owing his boss. So if someone was owing him 100 gallons of oil, he rather reduced the 100 to 80. And if you're owing 80, he said, write 50. So he has brought a loss to his owner. So if he has brought a loss to his owner, why would his owner now recommend him? And when you understand why, you know this guy was a clever guy. So now, looking at it culturally, you know, during those days, or managers like that, they get their money through commission. So what the guy did was that he used his commission to give a discount to people. So let's say for every 10 bucks of gallon you are able to recover, let's say two gallons will be for you as your commission. So it was his commission that he leveraged to give people a discount. You understand? So now the issues, if he did that, why then still would the manager commend him? And this one is not in the Bible. This just having a little knowledge about how the core setting is. And in those cultures, there are two things that are very important to people. And one of them is the honor a big man gets in society. So this one is not just trying to put it in a story form. So then one, how would the manager even know that? Or sorry, how would the owner even know that his manager has done something like this? So just reading a little bit of cultural books, just to have a little perspective. It is said that it's possible that after... Now, remember that when the manager was sacked, nobody knew about it. As in his debtors, those who were owing his owner, did not know that he was sacked. So he still leveraged on his position as the steward, which the other people did not know, to get something done. So putting a little bit perspective to it, it is believed that such a man or such the owner Whenever he steps in town, you know, those who were owing will be acknowledging him and giving him thanks. Why? Because they have reduced or the owner has reduced the amount they owe him. So it's possible that the only way the owner knew that the manager had done this was because whenever he steps into town, the guy who owed him 100 gallons who say, oh, master, thank you. The other time you sent your steward, I know I owed you 100, but you only paid 80. And the guy's like, ah, what is going on? And you go and buy gobe or you go and buy beans. And another man will come, hey, master, the other day you sent your steward to, yeah, even though he was going 80, he said that you have leverage, so I can now pay 50. God bless you for being so kind. So that might have triggered the manager to know that, ah, what has this guy done? 
then he realized that this guy has leveraged his discount. And in that sense, he has also brought Anna to the owner. So when the owner realized that this is what the guy has done, he commended him. Because another thing is that many of us would have done the direct opposite of what this guy did. If someone was going my owner 10 cents, I would go and tell the person that you are owing because of delay, you have delayed in paying, pay 20 cities so that the 10 cities extra will now become my own. That is what many of us will do because many of us are short-sighted and we are not, and we don't know the value of lasting blessings. So many of us rather inflate the debt people owe our masters so that we can get more commission. But the guy knew that no matter the commission he inflates, he will still run out of money at the end of the time. So he rather use his position to get friends. That is wisdom. Many of us would route out or would sell out people for money upon the slightest chance. One of the greatest blessings in your life is the people you have. Always choose people over money. What a clever guy. So instead of rather inflating the budget to get more commission, he rather leveraged his commission to give a discount so that people would rather owe him in return. And this is what makes him a clever guy because many of us would have done the direct opposite. Many of us would have become like Esau when we would tell Jacob, what good is this better? I need the soup now. You are telling me something else. And that's what many people do. If you are listening to us, if you are a worker in an organization, be honest. But many of us will be like, eh, they are cheating you, they are doing this. So you rather look for a means to exploit your owner or to exploit your employee because you want to get money, forgetting that there are things that are more important than money. And this is why Jesus called or the parable is teaching us and why this guy, even though he seemed like he had acted dishonestly, he rather acted wisely. And Jesus, in that same line, the, the verse we read, that's the verse 8, Jesus made a very important statement. He said, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. This is very important. Jesus is throwing a jab at us. Jesus is saying that unbelievers know how to get things done better than believers. Unbelievers know how to look after each other better than believers. So he said that the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind. Unbelievers know how to cover each other's back. Unbelievers know how to, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. So this, the creditor knew that if I've given you a discount, when I lose my job and I come knocking at your door, the manager was 100% certain that they would accept it into his house. But if it was us as believers, we would rather start pointing fingers at the person that, hey, you are here, they sacked you, you are coming into my house, what, what do you want me to do for you? And this is what Jesus is commenting the, the manager, that these people know how to look after their own, unlike us as children of God. That is what Jesus commended this guy for. That's the first thing. The second thing, why Jesus commended this guy, it was that he was able or he knows how to use his position to get things done. I remember when I was on campus and I had the opportunity to chair several committees 
And I always look at the way committees were done. And I knew why the church we are the way we are. We don't know how to get things done at all. We really don't know how to get things done at all. We don't know how to work with a tight budget. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how to leverage our position to get things done. Many of us don't know how to do that. So when a Christian is organizing a program, it's so difficult and expensive to do. But when these people are organizing their shows, they seem to be able to get their sponsorships. See the way Christians struggle to get sponsorship. Because one, if the companies owned by Christians themselves don't want to sponsor Christian programs, that's what Jesus said. That even the people of the world, they know how to sponsor each other. They know how to look after their own. So if I'm a secular artist or whatever, I know which alcohol beverage or which alcoholic beverage company can sponsor me, which whatever company can sponsor me. Look at the way people are sponsoring pornographic materials. Look at the way people are pushing gay activities all over the movies. There's hardly any recent movie you would watch that you will not see a gay cop. I said, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, that to the extent that even vampires, we have gay vampires. I said, what a wow. See the way these people are pushing agendas. See the way these people are using the resource of the media they have to push agenda. See the way these people are willing to sponsor each other's activities. And you see, that's the reason why people know that the main way to deal with these things is to cut off the sponsorship. But look at the way Christians struggle to get sponsorship for things. We literally have to go back because we don't know how to take care of our own and we don't know how to use what we have to get what we want, to push the agenda of God. Because funny enough, if you see um, a church organizing a mega crusade or pushing in money, huge sums of money, to propagate the gospel, many Christians will be like Judas. And they will say, why these wastes? Why are we using the money for this art? Why are we using the money for this? Or why are we using the money for that? We could have rather given it to the poor. We could have rather given it to that. But when people are giving millions of dollars to footballers, nobody complains about it. Because the unbeliever would rather protect what is investing his money for. When we see an unbeliever driving a car, then we have an issue. When we see somebody doing this, we have an issue. We are always fighting our own. We are always going against our own. And we are not supporting our own. It's so sad. I remember a time on campus, the Christian body wanted to build an auditorium or a chapel so that all the Christian groups, when they're having um, a mass church service, we will all be able to fit, or at least a greater number of us will be able to fit into that auditorium. If my memory, if my calculations are serving me right, it has been almost a decade now. The last time I saw that structure, it is still at the foundation level. Yes, the case that we have more numbers on campus, but yet still, we have not been able to build an auditorium. And the auditorium or the complex was a worship complex. There was phase one, phase two, phase three, blah, 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 blah. And for close to a decade, if it's not almost a decade now, but close to a decade, we have been in quotes raising funds to build a worship complex. And up to now, we are still at the foundation level. But two, three years, I don't know when they started, the Muslims have built a beautiful edifice for their worship center. Of course, I know that the worship complex would demand more money as compared to the mocks because the mocks was a little bit smaller. But what does it teach us? That the Muslims know how to get things done. 
the Muslims know how to get things done. And I think in about a year or two, if you see the wonderful edifice that have put up on campus, you go like, wow. And just beside the mosque is the so-called worship center that is still at the foundation level. We started about seven or six years ago. No progress has been made. Little to no progress has been made. What is wrong with us as believers? We don't know how to get things done. We are not clever. We are not shrewd. We don't know how to leverage on our position to get things done. We don't know how to push our agenda. Look at the way Muslims are able to convince people to carry bombs and go on planes and recite some things and able to convince them that there are virgins waiting for them. But we can't convince people to even go for outreach. We can't even convince people to go for evangelism. Look at the way these people are willing to push their ideas. But look at the way Christians are so lackadaisical when it comes to furthering the gospel of God. Even though he was a dishonest guy, he acted wisely. May you not be like people, or may you not be those, or may you not be among those that are always fighting against the kingdom of God, even though you claim to be a member. Why are we using money to do this? Why are we using money to do that? But when people are pushing agenda of pornography, when people are pushing agenda of gayism, when people are willing to put in money for these things, but when it comes to putting in money for the work of God, we don't do that. When it comes to using the little we have to get a lot done, we don't know how to do this. I'm sure that when the owner told him that Charlie returned the books for your philosophy, I don't think the guy had a week to prepare. I'm sure the following day he had to bring in the books. So I'm sure the guy had like 24 hours. So see how this guy was able to work in 24 hours to restore. And the, the fantastic thing was that aside what he did for himself, he was able to quickly bring more returns into his owner's house because people were owing him. So all of a sudden, when he's bringing in his books, he doesn't just bring in his books. He comes to, oh, master, these are my account books. So by the way, the guy who owed you 100 gallons of oil, he has brought his own. The guy who owed you 50, he has brought his own. The guy who owed you this, he has brought his own. And the guys, all of a sudden, how come all the people who are owing me are paying back? I'm sure that's another reason why the, the owner looked at the manager and said, Charlie, you are a wise guy. He knows how to get things done. We want to spend some time in prayer. We want to ask God to make us intelligent people, to give us the wisdom to know how to leverage with the resources we have to further the agenda of God, to leverage the position, the resources we have to get things done. We ask for the spirit of wisdom, Lord. We ask for the spirit of cleverness. May we be clever. May we be smart. May we be astute. May we have good understanding. May we know how to push agendas. May we know how to get things done in the name of our Jesus. Even in our business world, may we know how to get things done. Even in our marriages world, may we know how to get things done. In our relationships world, may we know how to get things done. And most importantly, regarding furthering the kingdom of God, may we know how to push agendas. May we know how to take on territories. May we know how to take on systems. Because until the nations of this world become that of our God, Father, give us no rest. Give us the cleverness in pushing agendas. Give us the smartness, the shrewdness in getting things done. 
You cancel every spirit of accusation. We cancel every self-condemnatory spirit in our lives. It is time for us to arise and build. It is time for us to arise and shine because we have the spirit of wisdom. It's time for us to use the little we have to get things done. Enough of the complaining. You will never have enough money to do what you want to do. You will never have enough whatever you need to get. But the little you have, Father, give us the grace to be able to use that one jar of oil left. Give us the grace to be able to use that rod in our hands. Give us the grace, Lord, to be able to use the resources you have given us for a greater good in the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, open our eyes, Lord, that we might see the well of water beside us. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see what is in our hands. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might know who we are just like this man that he knew that he was weak he cannot dig and he knew that he was too big to beg he knew what he did not have but nevertheless he also knew what he had and he knew that he had a position to leverage on his voice room father open our eyes to know what we have open our eyes to know the resources you have given us because we know that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus grant us the grace Grant all the energies we will need to effectively use the resources you have given us to your glory in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you for being with us. The next week, hopefully, will be the last series of the Shield Manager. And we'll be looking at the things Jesus said after you ended the parable. Remember to give God your best and to make sure that the only thing you owe any man for the rest of the year and beyond is love. Be a shield person. Learn how to leverage what God has given to get things done. And let us push the agenda of God with the seemingly little that we think we have. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless us all.